Welcome to House Call with Dr. Mack, where you get a real doc with straight talk for the whole you. It's here in the House Call community where we have created an inviting space for you to hear individuals' health stories, gain healthcare providers and other experts' perspectives. It is our mission that with the knowledge you gain here, you will be able to connect your own health dots, see a complete picture of yourself, and begin to experience whole person care. So, let's sit down. Let's get started. Let's have some conversations. Let's connect these dots. Let's get some straight talk. Hey, House Call community, welcome back. And as you know, in season six, we've been exploring, again, some great topics. Uh, We want to take care a little bit of housekeeping before we dive into this conversation. First of all, if you're listening to the show for the first time, if you've just found us, welcome to the House Call community. You can find us on all of our social platforms. We are House Call with Dr. Mac on the on Instagram, we are house call underscore with underscore Dr. Mac, and that's D-R-M-A-C. Twitter, house call with Dr. Mac. Facebook, you can find our Facebook page. It's house call with Dr. Mac, where we upload the podcast series and the YouTube episodes, and you can listen right there. Or you can go over to our website, which is of the same name, housecallwithdrmac.com. That's H-O-U-S-E-C-A-L-L-W-I-T-H-D-R-M-A-C.com. You can catch all of the conversations right there on the website. And it's mobile friendly. I love it because you can go to the podcast tab and just click on the screen right there and listen to the conversations there. You can um, connect with us if you want to send us an email. Our email address is a little different. Our email address is realdoc74 at gmail.com. That's R-E-A-L-D-O-C-7-4 at gmail.com. Now, we're doing something a little different. We are opening up to the community to be the voice of the introduction for House Call with Dr. Mac. If you've been listening and you're part of the part of the community, you've realized that season five and season six had some newer voices at the beginning. And if you want to be the voice for the introduction for season seven, which will be released in September of 2017, give us a give us a uh, connect with us somehow, either on Instagram, on Twitter, or send us an email, um, or on our Facebook page in the comment section, or send us a, a message and say, hey, I'd like to be the voice of the introduction to House Call with Dr. Mac. We would love to hear from you. The other thing we ask is that you just help us make it a little easier for people to find us. Find us on any of your favorite podcasting platforms, be it iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. You can subscribe, like, and then give us a review. When you do that, it makes it easier for others to find the show. So why don't you go on over and do that for us? We thank you in advance for helping us to make it a little easier for House Call with Dr. Mac to be found by other people and for our community to keep growing. So this month, we've been talking about our heart health. We talked about women and heart disease and their heart health. And we told you we were going to have an individual come in and share their story. This episode, this conversation, we have Mr. Don Eric Black, 
who came in, sat down with the community, and gave such a such a personal story of his heart transplant. Yes, you heard me. Heart transplant. There's so many nuggets in this conversation that are not necessarily medical even. He touched on getting our affairs in order. He touched on having some serious conversations. He touched on some practical everyday things that we need to do. And he told his story with such transparency and candor and opened up and let us walk through his journey when at 45 years old, he received a heart transplant. So get out those notebooks, be them electronic or old fashioned. Let's sit down. Let's get started. Let's have some conversations. Let's connect these dots. Let's get some straight talk. Hello, House Call community, and welcome back. You know, this month we have been talking about our heart health, and we've talked about women and heart disease, and we talked about um, the risk factors, and we've talked about how it's such a big umbrella, and there are so many different medical conditions that come when we talk about heart disease and in the conversation we were having with Wendell and I we were talking about how we were going to have somebody come into the house call community and give us their story and it is a remarkable story my goodness Um, so I'm really excited about today's guest and I want to welcome to the house call community he has taken time out of his schedule Um, I mean right now he's even in route he's on, um, on, on the road he's traveling but he's called in so that we could have a moment and talk to him I want to welcome Mr. Don Eric Black to the house call community welcome Mr. Black Hi, thank you for having me. So I I love to tell the House Call community how a guest arrived at our show because we talk about connecting our health thoughts. And I believe, you know, just kind of bringing everything into the conversation, it's a nice little touch to be able to see the whole picture. And you came into our community because you and my husband know each other from the college days. And yes. <laughs> <laughs> and right before the conversation, right before we started formally taping, you guys were, you know, having a little bit of reminiscing down memory lane and um, I just it it always warms my heart when we can sit down and we have a connection with a guest um, a personal connection and so I welcome you and I know this is going to be a conversation that's going to help some other people connect their health dots and be able to see a whole picture of themselves and and I want to thank you for being so willing to share such a big story and as people will see this is this is a huge story so again and thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. So um, we're gonna we're gonna just dive right into it. Um, you are here because Wendell um, was following your story, and he came to me a little while ago and was saying, "Hey, we need to have this guy come and tell his story." You know, he's our age, and I remember him. You know, from college days, and. He's had a heart transplant. And I was like, excuse me, 
a heart transplant? <laughs> I mean, we're, you know, we're in our, <laughs> we're in, in, in the 40s, and I'm not ashamed to say yeah. it. <laughs> and, you know, you don't hear about that big of a medical event in a young person's life. So we're going to dive into your story here. Um, you know, we started talking and I, I sent you a couple questions in preparing for today's conversation. And I asked you if you had any predisposing medical conditions such as diabetes or hypertension. Did you have any of those medical conditions before your heart transplant? No, I, I didn't. I was I was perfectly healthy. Um, wow. No diabetes. I, I, diabetes did run in my family, but I didn't have it. Um, okay. I had never had any real health issues. Mm. Um, perfectly healthy, and literally just had symptoms one time. And one one evening, I, I felt um, I felt short of breath to the point where I wanted to go to the hospital and. That was at that at that point we realized that uh, my mitral valve had been compromised and and that's when the whole process of open heart surgery started. Oh wow! And how old were you at this point? Uh, I was thirty nine. Thirty nine years yeah. old. All of a sudden, you yeah. start having these symptoms of shortness of breath to the point where you are concerned enough to go seek emergency medical help. And it ends up with what you had told me is the first surgery, correct? Right. Yeah, I was uh, I was at home and and was I felt really full and I couldn't catch my breath and and I told my wife and she was like, well, why don't you just relax, try to go to bed? So mm. I came upstairs, I got in bed and I still couldn't relax, so I got back up and and went back downstairs and just was a little bit agitated and, and pacing back and forth and. She came downstairs, and I said, I think we should go to the hospital. And it wow. turns out that my lungs had started to fill full of fluid, and the doctor literally said if I had went to bed and fell, fallen asleep, I probably would have suffocated. So wow. we dodged the bullet there, and uh, I was in the hospital for a week, and that's when it was determined that I would need a, uh, a mitral valve replacement. Wow. Oh, my goodness. My goodness gracious. So this is 2009. They replace your mitral valve. Uh, you started feeling better, I can assume. Like, how, how did that yeah. first recovery go? Well, I, I went to the surgery. Everything was fine. I ended up getting a pacemaker and a defibrillator, okay. which was basically to monitor my heart. Um, if anything were to happen, mm -hmm. it, would, it would, you know, either shock me or mm -hmm. uh, get my heart rate back into normal sinus rhythm. So um, I would imagine for the first two and a half to three years, everything was fine. I was exercising again. I had started racing BMX again and, and working out, and, and I felt relatively normal. I mean, with the exception of a few things that, that, I, that I couldn't do, but, you know, I felt pretty good. Wow. And, uh, th yeah, and then I started having the um, – ventricular tachycardia ah, and okay. that yeah so, so this is where i like to you know i'm going to probably interject into your story this is where when i can i like to add the science behind it and so i i always you know give my caveat i am not a cardiologist that is not my formal training um we do 
cover the heart, of course, in medical school and in pathophysiology. Um, But we have had a cardiologist here in the local area come and sit down a couple of times in the house call community, and we call it going back to the classroom with Dr. Newton Andrews. And so we've (laughs) talked about um, some of the the heart um, functioning, and you talk about ventricular tachycardia, and that is an abnormal rhythm that if it is not controlled, it'll stop your heart. And you will die. Right. And that is why they put the pacemaker in because they needed to make sure that whenever your heart went out of rhythm, uh, and and there are two two different things that they look at, and and of course a big umbrella. And we're going to have Dr. Newton come back in and really explain this to to our community. But you have rhythms, the way that the heart, you know, kind of the lub dub, the lub dub, and then you have the rate. You have how fast the heart is going, and so those are the types. That's just one of the things that we um, that are that are monitored, and that a pacemaker can help. It can help with the rhythm, and it can help with the rate. So if your rate goes down too low, it can, like you said, kind of jumpstart your heart as well, and kind of help it to to get back in a, in a rate that is one that can help perfuse the body and keep the blood circulating throughout the body and the system. So you have a defibrillator, you have have a pacemaker and this is now you're racing bmx bike i heard that and you know we got to go back to that you're racing bmx bikes (laughs) okay yeah wow and you're you're feeling great you're 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 doing good but then now you have this this abnormal rhythm and rate that's going on and it would happen yeah it would happen at the darndest times i mean i would just be driving and i would feel my heart go out of rhythm and i would kind of breathe through it and then i would feel it kind of kick back in and it, the whole process would happen maybe five or six seconds you know wow. and it was uh it was an odd feeling mm-hmm. that I, I i hate to say it but i almost got used to it mm. uh, fortunately it never happened on the track or anything like that but okay. it was it was definitely happening happening more than it should have and that's when i made the uh the appointment to get it checked out okay and then the appointment to get it checked out is that what led to them saying, now we need to take care of this rate and this rhythm with the ablation procedure? Is that is that right. kind of where it went? Well, what they did was they gave me a monitor that I was to wear for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wore the monitor for two weeks. After the two weeks, they took the monitor. Then they checked my defibrillator. And, they, and I remember the doctor telling me that uh, if this had happened 40 times in the last six months, that they would be very, very concerned. Well... It happened to me 400 times Excuse in six months. Me? And they were like, yeah. So they were like, we have to do something immediately. And that's when we made the appointment to get the ablation. Okay. So, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interject here and, and kind of slow us down just a little bit. So an ablation procedure is where they go in and they're trying to control the circuitry of the heart by literally burning um, the blood vessels, the veins. Because in medicine, we know that nerves, there's, there's a, it's called the vein, um, the bundle, the neurovascular bundle. So where your arteries and your veins go, the nerves run as well. So you can't really see the nerves per se, but we know that they run with the veins. And so they actually right. do a mapping of your vasculature of the heart 
with like an MRI and they look through and they see where things are going and they do it also in real time with fluoroscopy while they're doing the ablation. And now did they go through your femoral vein or did they go through an arm vein to do your ablation? Um, I'm, I don't know. I was out. Oh, did they go through your leg? <laughs> it's okay. Did they go through your leg or your arm? No. They, they must have went to my arm because they didn't go to my leg. Okay, so. okay. Um, so there are yeah. different ways to do it. And when they went in, what happened when you had your ablation done? Well, as you know, they put you into um, VTAC mm-hmm. uh, to be able to identify the damaged, you know, uh, area. And so when I went into VTAC, I ended up going into VTAC storm. And Whoa. that's when that's when I coded, and I was I was out for forty five minutes. They shocked me seventy times to get me back, and and uh, that was the beginning of the end for this for that heart at that point. So, okay, yeah. I, I just want to make sure that everybody heard exactly what you said because I'm sitting here with my mouth open myself as a clinician going, are you really telling me this story? I mean, you're saying that on the table, you coded and most people know kind of know what coded means. That means you your heart stopped, you stopped breathing, you were clinically gone. And they had right. to shock your heart and they shocked you 77 zero times. Yeah. 70 times, which is almost unheard of. I, exactly, exactly, cases. exactly, because when we do a code, um, you know, again, I, I just remember a lot of times they're like, if you do a code right, if you run that code correctly, it's not pretty. And the person, when they come out, they literally feel like a Mack truck has run over them. Because you yep. are trying to literally pump the blood manually through this person's body to make sure that their brain stays perfused, to make sure that all exactly. of their organs stay perfused, their kidneys stay perfused, their liver stays perfused, that all of the vital organs stay getting blood so that when they come out, their organs can function again. And I'm sitting yeah. here talking to you, and you seem very intelligent and very coherent, and you were shocked 70 times. That, that, is, that is amazing. I mean, we are people of faith here, and we say that all the time in the podcast. And to me, I cannot explain that through science. I, I then say this is that those, these are the divine appointments that I talk about and how things yeah. really just come together. And that is amazing in and of itself. Oh, my goodness. So now you are now you're out of the ablation. They're saying, OK, so did you ever get cardioverted when you when they finished the shocking and everything? Or were you still in VTAC that I'm just curious from a medical standpoint? Um, I did. I did end up out of VTAC and they were concerned with with my kidney because. I only had one kidney because I had donated one to my father three years earlier. So they were really concerned about that. And luckily there was no neurological damage, at least, you know, that's what they say. My wife would probably say different. <laughs> oh, but, my goodness. Okay. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> but I did end up on, I ended up uh, on dialysis for, I think, about six weeks just to rejuvenate the, the kidney. Wow. So, 
Yeah. Oh my goodness! And crazy. so you're fine now. So you're not on dialysis at this time. No, I'm not on dialysis at this point. Oh my goodness! Okay, so yeah. you know, I always say this to people when I hear these these stories. I go, okay, so when are you writing your book? Just hint, hint. Um, <laughs> you know, my goodness! So now they're saying, okay, this heart is just it, it's really on. Like I, I always talk about. You know, you you have only so much more more time in the meter per se. You know, you really right. don't yeah. have any more in this heart. So now, what were the next steps? They've they've gotten you through the ablation. They're seeing now. Okay, the kidney. We're concerned about that, but you've done dialysis, and now what? Well, at, at that point, I I uh, was in the hospital for eleven days. I ended up. Um, getting out, making as, as full a recovery as you can expect. But mm. uh, it was at that point that um, we decided we would we would go to Cleveland Clinic and get uh, okay. a, a more expert opinion. And, um, of course, we – and actually, the, the hospital um, that we were going to, uh, we had a good cardiologist group, but they didn't even realize that I had a pseudoaneurysm oh. in my heart. So when – when my doctor at the Cleveland Clinic looked at my echoes, he asked if I had had an MI. Hmm. And I was like, no, I never had a heart attack. And, and they were like, well, you have a pseudoaneurysm that's usually caused by a, a heart attack. And he said literally, and I'll never forget being in his office, he says, uh, you're going to need a heart transplant. And I kind of scoffed. I was like, yeah, that, that's not happening. <laughs> and, you know, I, I thought, you know, we'll get through this. We'll get it repaired. I'll be back on my bike and doing whatever I want to do. And um, we met with them, I think, like a month later with one of the best heart surgeons in the world, and he kind of drew it out for us. And he said, this is what you have. These are the instruments and products that we have to fix it, and we can't use what we currently have to fix it because it's too big. So eventually you're going to start to prep you're going to have to prep for a heart transplant. So at that point, I kind of accepted it, and we started going through the process of of getting on the on the transplant list. You go through a battery of tests, you know, to make sure you're eligible right. and, and the whole nine yards. So we we started we started that process, and I think in October of 2014, um, we got word that we had uh, been selected as a as a uh, uh, we were on the the B list or tier two list. I wasn't sick enough to actually have a transplant, but I was on the list, which is almost weird. They tell you that you need to transplant, but you're not sick enough to get a Mm. transplant. So, yeah, I was a a one 1B status is what they call it. And how old were you at this time? I was 44. 44 44 years years old. And you're sitting in a physician's office and they're telling you, you need a heart transplant. Right. Yeah. It was it was it was weird to hear. Man. Wow. So now you're going through the process and like you said, there's a whole battery of testing that you have to do. Um, they have to I mean, this is this is not just, OK, we'll schedule the surgery for next week. This is a long and drawn out process. And there are so many steps involved. 
And how is this, I'm going to, you know, venture out and ask a personal question here. You said that you're married, that, you know, your wife was with you. I mean, how is this now affecting, affecting your family? Well, you know, we're, we're people of faith as well. And I've always been one of those people who just believe that I'm going to control what I can control. Mm -hmm. And any Mm -hmm. issues or problems that I've ever had, I put them on God and I don't worry Mm -hmm. about them. Literally to the point where people have said to me, shouldn't you be a little more nervous than you are? And I'm like, nope, it's not my problem. Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. and and as a family, you know, as a family, we handle what we can control. My wife is is in the medical field. She was the director of neurology at the time at the hospital that I went to. So we just started to prepare for what we knew was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, um, that was, that was pretty much it. We knew we, we knew I would get sicker. Mm, Okay. Okay. You know, we were just trying to make sure that we had all of our ducks in a row so that when that time did come, uh, everything was handled. I mean, the thing that I would have worried about most is family and whether or not things were being taken care of. Uh And fortunately, we had enough time to plan for it, so it was a pretty easy pivot from, you know, being able to do what I wanted to do and ending up at the Cleveland Clinic as mm-hmm. a guest mm. until, you know, the transplant. Wow. So th- this this is another thing that I want to I want to um, touch on, and I know in preparing for this we didn't actually go down this path, but. You know, and Wendell and I sit here and we talk a lot about having those difficult conversations. And you talk about, you know, you were worried and you just wanted to make sure that family was taken care of. Um, you know, such as I, I would assume like your affairs are in order, you know, did you, you know, writing right. a will. And, um, you know, if you all have children, making sure who, you know, what's going on and having those exactly. conversations. And we talk about how we as a as a black community really don't have those type of conversations as often as we should. And, we don't. And, and you having to have had those conversations, you know, I, I'm kind of putting you here on the spot. What would you say, just in general, you know, how do we start having these conversations without having a major health event to prompt us to have these conversations? Well, I've always been one of, just in my business alone, you know, we we tend to, in in life in general, when you think about something, you think about the best things that could happen. Mm -hmm. And I've typically come to realize that that very rarely happens. There's always going to be glitches in the system. Mm -hmm. So in my business, I've always tried to, even though my plan might be for something perfect to go on, and knowing that it's not perfect, I try to, to, to be the devil's advocate and and put those little situations in mm-hmm. my plan so that mm-hmm. I know how to combat them. And, and we were fortunate enough to be able to do the same thing with my health. It, mm-hmm. You know, I was still working um, so I could we could stack some money. We mm-hmm. could make sure that, that things were, were paid off and that yeah. things were taken care of. But e- even more so than that, I think it, when you look at it from a standpoint of having a family or having loved ones in your life, if you love them, you try to prepare for them so that they don't take as much of a hit if something bad happens, you, you know, and I think we, we need to just be, we need to be forward thinking and proactive about, you know, our, our health. Yes. You know, the, the smartest thing that I ever did was buy lots of health insurance when I was young. 
because I, I had a business with my family where I pretty much generated 100% of the income, and I thought, okay, if I get hit by a bread truck, who's going to provide for my family? So I bought a lot of insurance. Wow. You know, and it was cheap at that time. But mm-hmm. we, you know, we tend not to think about calamities if everything's going good. Yes. And usually once yes. it starts to go bad, it's too late. Exactly. You know. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. You are, I'm, I'm sitting over here doing the touchdown sign and everything else. And Wendell and I are <laughs> nodding back and forth because this is exactly what we talk about. You have to prepare for tomorrow and the yes. next day and the next day and the next year. And you have to make sure that you do your part. And I'm so glad that we were able to put this aspect in the conversation because it does put the whole picture in place and help people really start connecting those dots. That is not just the medical part in terms of, okay, make sure you have the right physicians or the right doctors or that you seek the right care, but you need to be having some serious conversations with your family. And I love the way you put it. You said, if you love them, I mean, these are your loved ones. You want to make sure that they don't have to have the burden of certain things when you're either really, really sick and you can't do it or you're gone, unfortunately. I agree because I know for me, it gave me even a better opportunity to, to focus on my health because if I had to focus on my family while I was trying to stay alive, it would have been terrible. I, mm. I was running a company at the mm. time and it was hard enough having to separate from that company. Wow. Not having to worry about where the next tuition was coming from mm-hmm. or the next meal or mm-hmm. the next mortgage payment just it, it just it relieves some of the pressure and I could focus solely on me trying to put myself in the best position because as you probably know a lot of it is mental yes you know you can yes. you know a lot of it is mental and if you're not in a good mental state of mind there's a good chance that that's going to affect your physical well-being as well absolutely Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. I'm so glad you said that. That is so key and so true because we are all one person. I talk about how you are all one person. You're whole. We have to put the head back on the body and we have to know that everything in our body is connected. We do such a great job of dismembering the body into our little areas of expertise in medicine. And unfortunately, the the consumer or the patient does it too. And we have to remember that we're all one and that you have to take care of the entire person. Oh my goodness, Don, right. Don Eric, this is a great conversation. I, I my my producer has given me my my little um, time time mileage my time milestone rather. And so I wanna I wanna get to the transplant part. Um, so now you're on the transplant list. And when do you get the call? Do you remember? I, I'm sure that is probably well, just like it was yesterday. It, well, it was weird because I, I got on the transplant list in October and I was still working. I had, I started I had registered for graduate school. I wasn't going to let anything stop me. And I thought, wow. well, if I get it, if I'm about 60, that's fine. Well, um, in October, I got I got on the list as a as a 1B status. By Christmas of 2014, I could barely walk up a flight of stairs. Oh. And I was getting worse and worse. And I remember giving my staff two weeks off at Christmas, and I spent the whole holiday just getting things done in the office, just cleaning up stuff, making sure that my 
my uh, administrator knew exactly what was going on because I just felt in my heart, no pun intended, that <laughs> I wasn't going to be coming back. And, mm. and I remember the first day of, of work, I couldn't even get into work. I got into work at like noon and I, my staff was worried. I didn't leave my office the whole day. And that was on January uh, 5th. Mm. And I went, I went into the hospital, um, that, that evening I was in the hospital for two days. My stuff had started to shut down. Uh, I had fluid build up. They ended up taking off like 15 or 20 pounds of fluid off of my body. And then I think I went home for one day. And then the next day I went to Cleveland clinic on the 9th of January of 2015 and I knew I wasn't coming back. Wow. And they did the test that they do. They were doing biopsy. Oh, I know, a heart cast mm. uh, to take a look at my heart. Mm. And my doctor told me, we're going to keep you until mm. you get a heart. And so I was in I was in ICU for, for 49 days. And literally two days before they were going to give me a total artificial heart, um, it was the day before my 45th birthday. They came in and told me that they had found me a heart. So Whoa. it was a, yeah, it was the best birthday present ever. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. So you've got, you got your heart in 2015 and you were also telling me that not only was your mitral valve compromised, but your aortic valve had started being compromised as well. Is that is that also part right. of the story? And you also yeah. had a pseudoaneurysm, is what well I'm also part of a part of the damage to the heart. And so yeah, your like you said, there was no more mileage coming out of this heart. Now, what yeah. do they think was the initial insult to your heart? Because you usually hear about diabetes or hypertension causing a lot of problems. What do they think? And you just said, no, I didn't have diabetes, didn't have hypertension. What do you think was the initial insult? Well, I think it was, I think it all started with the mitral valve. And I, I think I told you beforehand, I had had, um, pneumonia back in 2006 mm-hmm. and um that was uh i think it was right after i donated a kidney to my to my father and i went for a checkup and my doctor said that i had a leaky valve mm. which is which people do have but yeah. mine went from from being leaky to full-on regurgitation uh-huh. and it was unrepairable and that's wow. when all my problems started which developed into cardiomyopathy and I'm sure that the damage that was caused probably by the ablation didn't help. And I think pretty much everything that yeah. could go wrong yeah. went wrong. Yeah. And, and like yeah. my doctor at the clinic even read my, you know, as he did some, some studying on me. And he literally was surprised that I walked into his office. He thought I would be in a wheelchair because there was so much stuff going on. And even now when I read the medical reports, I'm like, God, there was a ton of stuff going on there. Oh, so, wow. you know. I was just, I always say God takes care of fools and babies. Oh so I haven't had a baby goodness. in a while. Yes, so. yes, I say the same thing. That's why I'm laughing. I say the same thing, and I'm like, well, but I'm not a baby, so clearly, my yeah. goodness. 
Wow. Don, Eric, this is an amazing story. And I know we only scratched the surface of your story. And this is one of those times where I know the house call community is going to listen and they're going to whip out their notebooks like I tell them to and and take down all the nuggets that you have so poignantly placed within this conversation, especially about having the conversations, the tough conversations with your family, especially about placing things in order. I mean, something as as mundane as cleaning up your office that yeah. is that speaks volumes i mean I, I i'm so glad you're talking about the practical everyday stuff and that's what we talk about here it's like there are things that we do every single day there are choices that we make every single day and so you know there may be some medical conditions that were not due to a lifestyle choice or due to something that we could have avoided but the things that we do when we are dealt that hand are are really within our control and you have so brilliantly brought that to the forefront and i want to personally thank you for having this great conversation with us today well i appreciate the opportunity to have it and i i really do believe that we have to pay more attention to our health especially as african americans we tend to kind of sweep things under the rug we don't want to talk about it we don't want to deal with it but it's so much easier on family if there's a plan Mm -hmm. you know and too many of us die really from diseases that can be treatable number one and and number two having a plan having that conversation with your loved ones whether it's your husband wife brother sister mother father children whoever because the last thing that they want to have to deal with is things that should have been done when you were coherent and healthy and alive and i just think it's something that we all need to do uh sooner versus later because it's it's one thing to have to you know to to deal with someone being sick or in, mm-hmm. in, in a dire condition in the hospital but it's another having not having a plan as to how to continue to live yes. you know if, if if that person is is incapacitated or, or or passes away yes oh my goodness So before we leave this conversation today, we usually ask our guests to give our community a tip of the day, and it can be on what we're talking about now, um, and you've given us a lot of tips already, or it could be just something that's on your heart that you would like like to share, and we would be honored if you could give us a tip of the day. All right. Well, I'll I'll touch on a couple of things. Number one, know your body. Mm -hmm. Know your numbers. Mm. Um get regular checkups. I think it's vitally important. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but something that hits even closer to me is, is when I think about why I'm here and the, the singular reason I'm here is because someone decided on their worst day that they wanted to help someone. And, and the individual, his name is Eric, whose heart that I received mm. became an organ donor. And if wow. it's not for him deciding, you know what, if something bad happens to me, I want to help someone. I'm not here. Literally, you're interviewing somebody else because I was I was two days away from from getting a total artificial heart, and because of his generosity and, and his wanting to help, I'm here. Um, so I would tell everyone become an organ donor because you're going to be affected by it, whether it's directly, indirectly, a friend, a family, a coworker, and 
there are 112,000 people, 119,000 people right now waiting on organs. Mm. And 21 people a day pass away without receiving that gift. And way more people than that are buried with healthy organs every day. Mm. So I would I would charge anyone out there to, to become an organ donor. Um, it's a wonderful thing. One of my dear friends is actually receiving a kidney within the next couple of uh, days as a result of someone and and that this is a this is a, a live uh, person um, oh, wow. this is a living donor actually mm. so it's a wonderful wonderful organization uh, I strongly support them as often as I can which is why I don't mind telling my story because hopefully it resonates with someone and they can make the choice I just tell people all the time check the box mm. you know so that's my little pitch for uh, Donate Life. I love it. Thank you so much. And with that community, we will see you back here next time. Bye now. 